Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek, and today I'm speaking with Jerry Thompson about his new book, Why Photography Matters. Jerry Thompson is a working photographer who also writes about photography. He worked as Walker Evans' principal assistant from 1973 to Evans' death in 1975. He's the author of The Last Years of Walker Evans and Truth in Photography. Jerry Thompson, thanks for being on the MIT Press Podcast today. Thank you for having me. So if we met at a party and you just told me you'd written a book called Why Photography Matters and I asked you what it was about, what would you tell me? Well, I would say that I wrote the book because my understanding of why photography matters doesn't exactly match up with the understanding of why photography matters that I sense in the culture of the present day at large. It seems to me that there, there's a very special, exciting thing that photography can do which has to do with understanding a subject in the deepest, toughest, uh, most complicated way that no other visual medium can do. And I think that a lot of people who, who are drawn to photography because it's shown in museums and galleries a lot really do not value that particular aspect of photography. It's the original attraction that it was the attraction that many of the earliest workers in photography felt, and it's the attraction that many people that I know, people my age, felt when they first began to take photographs. It's almost as if they were reinventing the, me- the medium all over again when they discovered what a fantastic pictorial medium this was, how you could get accurate pictures uh, so quickly, so, with relative ease, and how you could also discover things in the pictures of interest to you that you had no notion of at the time that you made them. This ability to be surprised by and to learn from the world, the visual world, the world we see, this is the thing that, that so excites me about photography and has really, has really driven my work in the medium for 40 years. And that's the thing that I sense as I read what's written about photography and as I see what's shown is not understood as clearly as perhaps it was in earlier time. And this is not to say that's what's, what's being done and what's being said is wrong, not at all. It goes in a different direction. But in going in that different direction, it seems to me we're in danger of losing something that's very valuable and unique. What happened in photography that led to the diminishment of this, as you write, dialectic between photographer and subject? Well, there are almost as many explanations as 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 there are critical approaches. Uh, some people have said that it it all has to do with the uh, the decline of the picture magazines because that was one of the primary markets for the uh, for, for the photographs that were of of the kind that we're talking about, photographs of the world. Uh, younger younger readers or listeners to this may not know that photographers have not been able to sell their prints for very much money for very long. In fact. The, the photography market started as, as recently as the middle 1970s. Before that, the only reason that you wanted to show your pictures was so that you would get famous and, and you could get and some magazine would hire you to take pictures. But after the magazines began to fade, uh, that option was no longer open. But other things were happening too. By that time, young photographers were going to art school. It's possible now, it has been for quite a while, to go, to go to a university or a college or an art school and study photography. That hasn't been possible for very long. But if you go to an art school as a photographer, you meet painters. And you might notice that the painters, when they graduate and start having their careers, if they do well, sell their works in galleries for a lot of money and get a lot of attention. 
And it may be that some photographers, some young, talented photographers began to think, well, I'd like to have a piece of that myself. Now, as I said in the beginning, there are many possible explanations for this. This is only one. But uh, taken, taken together, all of these things have led to uh, a level of ambition among talented photographers to have large works, to have them in color, to have them on the walls of prestigious galleries, and to be treated with the same respect uh, that, that painters and sculptors are treated. And as far as I can tell, it's true. I mean, it, it has come to pass. If you look through the events listing in uh, a magazine like, say, The New Yorker, you will find that a large percentage, a much larger percentage than, than 20 or 30 years ago, of the artists who are showing work are showing works that have been produced using photographic means. Is there a division between the amateur and the professional photographer when evaluating why photography matters? Because it seems to me that in order for a photographer to develop the feel or sophistication it takes to understand a subject, they have to spend a lot of time photographing that subject. And I'm not sure if the professional photographer can devote that amount of time to exploring a single subject. Am I oversimplifying this? Well, it may be a little oversimplified, but I think it points in an accurate direction. Uh, if you do something for a practical reason, for example, that you're being paid to do it, I, I, let me preface this by saying that I've made my living as, as a commercial photographer, a professional photographer for 40 years. You do what you have to do to give the client what the client wants. And if you're very good, uh, that can be a very good thing that, that you produce. But there's a sort of end point to it. You turn the work in, you get the check, and, and then you go on to something else. If you're I'll use I'll say an amateur, but I'll use amateur in the in the etymological sense, which the root is love. If you're in love with what you're doing, you don't stop when you get the paycheck. You keep going, you keep going, you keep refining. Uh, some photographers are lucky enough to get paid for taking the kind of pictures they want to take. Other photographers get paid enough to have their equipment and to be able to make a living, but they wind up taking the pictures they really want to take on their own time, so to speak. So. You can't make a hard and fast rule against professional versus amateur, but I guess you could say that if the professional is also an amateur, then so much the better. But it's the amateur, the love part. Uh, amateur not in the sense of being, uh, being not serious, but in the sense of being very serious, seriously in love with the activity, uh, that's the key. As photography began to be treated as a serious academic subject in the 1960s and different critical schools began to emerge, did that weaken the development of that dialectic between photographer and subject? I think that criticism, since I've been involved in the, uh, seriously in photography, has become articulate, it's become highly developed, uh, it's become attractive. Uh, there's a lot of it, a lot of it's very well written, a lot of it's persuasive, and it makes connections with, with bodies of knowledge that 50 years ago nobody would ever have thought had anything to do with taking pictures. A young person who studies photography today will probably go to a school or a college and will probably be taught with someone who has studied within that 40-year bubble. In other words, we're far enough along now so that the teachers will be in this, in this thing too. I'll, I'll, let, me, let me see if I can give you a specific example. Uh, the photographer Alexander Gardner went to Gettysburg right after the battle. He got there two or three days after it was over and began photographing on the battlefield. There were still lots of corpses around. The pictures are horrific. 
they show uh, they show death and destruction with a level of detail that history painting, in my in my awareness of it, has hasn't approached. It was the real thing. Now, when I first saw those pictures, the thing that struck me most was the directness and the, the sort of facticity of those images. Okay. If a young person, any young person who went to school uh, to study photography any time since, say, the mid-1980s, if that person were shown those pictures, quite likely the first thing that the the student would be told was that Gardner moved the corpses around. There's a gun there that, that what doesn't belong. In one of the pictures, there's a rifle that doesn't belong there. The same corpse appears in, in more than one position in different photographs. And the idea of presenting this would be to, to show the student that it's not a direct uh, understanding of reality. It's a constructed vision uh, in other words, the photographer is really arranging things in order to suit the caption that the picture's going to have in, the, in its final use, which was the photographic sketchbook of the Civil War, where each picture has a caption. Okay, that's true. All of that's true. But in my mind, that second truth is a smaller truth than the first truth. The big truth is how the facticity, the fact that the dead bodies are really dead, the eyes are bulging, the stomachs are bloated, the limbs are, are in positions that the human body, that living human body can't take. The small truth is that on the basis of this level of facticity, this ambitious guy did some other stuff. He went, he went beyond his, what you might call his original mandate. But the student in the 80s, uh, from the 80s on, say, would be given the, that first without ever having experienced the other as a gut reaction. The effect of this is to transfer attention from the seeing to thinking about seeing. And it's when you have that level of thinking in between uh, that comes before the initial uh, activity that you begin to forget. I don't, you, we, all as a culture began to forget what the power of the original thing was. Not to mention the fact that those would have been the first few among the first photographs that anybody who saw them ever saw. And for us, you know, we've just, we've just come from an IMAX 3D and we're looking at these, you know, black and white pictures made, made uh, uh, 150 years ago. We've, we saw better than that. I mean, you, you see, you see human bodies blown to pieces in 3D uh, and uh, you, so you could have seen them in half the movies that were released last summer. So our whole understanding of what it means to be shocked by reality has, has been, you know, is affected by the culture that we live in. But it seems to me that there is a directness, I would call it a truth, to this that the sort of translation that can happen to a disciplined photographer that if you get it, if you stick with it, if you love it, if you study it, if you become aware of the nuances of it, it's different from the fabricated stuff that you see in, in color in the, in the, at, the, at the multiplex. That's my, I, I guess I have to call it my faith because there's no, there's no uh, train of logic that I can bring up to, to support it. Jerry Thompson, the author of Why Photography Matters, thanks for talking to the MIT Press podcast today. It was a pleasure to talk with you. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can find the MIT Press on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash mitpress. 
And you can also follow us on Twitter, where we are at MIT Press. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press podcast. Copyright 2013, the MIT Press, all rights reserved.